chances are you don't know. So now, now you know a little more than you did. Y'all, 1 Samuel chapter 13. We read this passage a couple of weeks ago, and I told you I felt like God was working on a message on how. I, had, had, I thought it might have been last week, but it wasn't last week. I'm very thankful for what last week was. Um, man, the spirit was really, really thick in, in the house. For me, I, I, love, I love when the Holy Spirit shows up. <clears throat> but we were going <clears> to, <throat> we looked at this text. I said, we're going to talk about how to be the kind of man, how to be the kind of woman, how to be the kind of servant that God himself would say, that's somebody after my own heart. So, so I want to start with a question before we even get into it because I want, I want each one of us to realize where we are. I don't want you to raise your hand out of obligation. I don't want you to raise your hand because you're in church. I don't want you to raise your hand because the person beside you did. I just want you to search your soul and know if you want this to be you. Now, or do you in your heart, do you want to be in a, in a place that God could say, that's one that's after my own heart? I, I want to seek God with everything I, I have. I want to I live my life wholly and completely pleasing to God and hold nothing back. I want to be all in for his glory, serving with everything I got. I want to be the kind of person that God could look at me and say, that one is after my own heart. Just If you want to be that kind of person, if you want to be that kind of person, I, I, the, the deal is... What we desire there is possible. It is possible. I know it because it's said in the word of God. So it is possible, but how? So here in 1 Samuel chapter 13, we got two men. One man is removed by God because he chose not to do the will of God. The other man is praised by God because of doing the will of God. God himself praised him. 1 Samuel chapter 13 Beginning in verse number 13, Samuel said to Saul, Samuel is the prophet. God has sent the prophet Samuel to Saul to give him some instruction. And he says, thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which he commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. He said, if you would have just done my will, if you had just done what I gave you to do, I would have established your kingdom here at Israel forever. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. The Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. That is what God said through the prophet Samuel to, to the current king of Israel, Saul. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. When he had removed him, referring, of course, to Saul, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave the testimony and said, I have found David. The son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now, now, real quick, before you sit down, when, when I mention the name David in the Bible, what's the first thing that comes to mind? I didn't think about that. He said Goliath. I thought about Bathsheba. I, I thought about Uriah. See, see the, the bad part is... is one of the first things when we mention this, this great man of God is adultery and murder. But yet this same man, this same one with the guilt that we're going to look at on this plate, God said, that's a man after my own heart. So I want to look at a message this morning 
with a very simple title. How? God, thank you so much for being so good. God, I pray right now, starting with me, God, may you forgive us of any failure in every evil thought, every evil deed, every evil imagination of the heart. God, anything that, that would hinder your presence in this place, God, anything that would hinder your Holy Spirit from doing a work in our lives, God, we call out in the name of Jesus. You said in the name of Jesus that demons must flee. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we command demons to leave this place, to leave your, your children alone, that we might hear from your word, God. Lord, we call the name of Jesus over every life, over every family, over every home, over every situation, over everyone in this building, God. We call upon the name of Jesus, Father. May your sweet Holy Spirit move, settle down in this place. Do what only you can do, God. Speak to each one of us individually, God, that we may meet you where you want to meet us and we may be found in the place that you want us to be. We love you so much, God. You've been so good to us. We just want to praise you in the precious, sweet, holy name of Jesus. All God's people said, Amen. I want to start out by saying God doesn't see things the way we see things. God doesn't see things the, the same way. We see failure as fatal. But as I've said many times, failure is only fatal if it's final. God always has an open door policy. God always has forgiveness on, on, on tap. See, God sees sin different than we see sin. See, we, we've got our little pet sins. They're not that bad. We, we, we've got our little secret things. It's not that bad. Oh, you know, it's not like them old whoremongers and drug addicts out there. No, it's, it's just like God sees sin as wicked. It doesn't matter what you call it. It doesn't matter what size you put it at. God sees it as separation from God himself. God sees it as sickening. God sees it as an abomination. God sees any sin in our lives and in this same David's life as separation and, and as pathetic. But the difference is, is that God can see the plan on the other side of repentance. God can see the finished product. God can see what's going to come out out of all of it. Repentance means to turn away from that sin and to never go back. Not turn back and then still dabble in it. But forgive me, Father, turn away, never go back. I, I, wanna, I, I want us to read another passage. I want you to turn, if you would, to 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 1. If you have your Bible, I want you to turn there. If you have your phone out, please, please don't tease me. Don't use this as an opportunity to check up on your Facebook page. Don't use this as an opportunity to, to send out a text, check your emails, to check the scores of the football games. Yes, I already go ahead and tell you everybody that was supposed to win one. If you're using a Bible app and you have a notepad, I want you 2 Samuel chapter 11. Verse number one, because we're going to be right here for a few minutes. Over half the morning message, we're going to be right here as we look at a passage together. And verse number one, 2 Samuel chapter 11. It came to pass after the year was expired, the time when kings go forth to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him. And all Israel, they destroyed the children of Ammon, besieged Rabbah, and, but, but David tarried still at Jerusalem. Came to pass in an evening tide that David arose from off his bed, walked upon the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman washing herself. And the woman was very beautiful to look upon. 
David sent and inquired after the woman. <clears throat> and one said, I want you to see this answer. One said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Stop sign number one. Stop right here. David, David, do you, do you know who that beautiful woman is? She's married. That, that your, your friend Uriah, that, that, that's his wife. God, God says, stop sign. Hold, hold it. Stop, 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 stop right there. But David runs a stop sign. Verse 4, he sent messengers and he took her and she came unto him. And he lay with her for she was purified from her uncleanness and she returned unto her house. I want you to understand something else. She has no choice in this matter. Number one, women really didn't have any liberties back then. Now, granted, rape was still rape, and a man would be murdered for such. But, but a woman really didn't have any, any rights back then. But she certainly didn't. She's with the king. And, and she has to do whatever the king says. So this is not adultery on her part. This is force on his part. Now, I tell you that for a reason, because I want you to understand the size, the fullness, the severity of the sin of David right here. I want you to understand the full wickedness, because even if we try to cover up little white lies, little, little cute sins, or whatever you want to call sin is sin, we paint this one as wicked, right? So, so I, I want you to see the severity of it. When David was finished with her, he sent her on home. David said, ah, that was fun. Boy, I, I, I enjoyed that. I mean, after all, the, the Word of God itself says that sin has its pleasures for season. Numbers 32, 23 also says, be sure your sin will find you out. So, so David, he sends her on home and everything's fine until you get to verse number five and the woman conceived, uh-oh. Uh-oh, we wasn't counting on that one. He, he sent, she sent and told David, said, said I'm with child. Oh man, Houston, we got a problem now. I mean, my buddy Uriah, I've got him off out there in the war fighting in the military and his wife's at home pregnant. I got, I got to, I guess what we're going to have to do here is we're going to have to confess our sins. We're going to have to put it all on the altar before God. We're going to have to ask God to forgive us and let God deal with it and move on from here. Right, David says, what, you kidding me? I'm king around here. Besides, nobody sees my phone, right? No, no, nobody, nobody knows my secrets, right? No, nobody knows what's going on in my little world. No, nobody knows the things that, that, that I'm hiding. He says, I know how to take care of this. David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah the Hittite. Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah was coming to him, David demanded of him how Joab did and how the people did and how, how the war prospered. So he tries to make it like... Boy, Uriah, he's my friend, man. He's my buddy. He's my trusted companion. He's the one. I'm going to get him to come home. I've been wanting to know how things are going in the war. And, you know, they didn't have Facebook. They didn't have, well, they didn't have, well, we don't have any real news either. All we got is fake garbage, so I don't know what that helps. But, but, but uh, uh, he had to find out from somebody that was there, hey, what's going on? So he brings him in. David says, after, after he got what he, he, he really, he, after he got the front done, you know, he really didn't want to know about the war. He just needed Uriah there. So after he finished all the lie and all the hypocrisy, he, he says, You go on down to thy house. Wash thy feet. And Uriah departed out of the king's house. There followed him a mess of meat from the king. 
See, here's what David said. You go on down to the house and see your pretty little wife, Bathsheba. You, you, and and here, here, I'm, I'm going to make sure this is the very romantic evening. I, I don't want you to have to go out and prepare a meal. I don't want you to have to go out and prepare a lamb. Y'all understand there wasn't no microwave, right? Y'all, y'all understand that there wasn't no pickup longhorn on the way home. I mean, if you wanted a steak, you got to go out and kill something, dress it, build a fire. I mean, you're going to be a little while. You're going to work. David says, oh, I don't want you tired. I don't want you out there working. I don't want Bathsheba to be doing anything. I just, I just want you to go on down to the house and you two just have a little reuniting time. And, and then here's your king's dinner. Here's a meal prepared from the king's table so, so y'all can enjoy a meal. And, and then before you go to sleep, y'all, y'all can just have another little good see, see, he's got it all worked out because what, what happens, David, that, they, David looks in the mirror when it's all said and done. He says, that's a good job, boy. See how I did that? Got it covered because when people are dabbling in the sin, they become absolutely blind to reality. I remember I worked at Riverview Plantation. It was 82 or 83. I remember, man, everybody that came down there was millionaires. We were just boys taking millionaires hunting, and, and they were all oil tycoons and that kind of stuff and came down, and, and they spent thousands of dollars hunting quail. I remember one of the men came. He, he was a regular. He came at least once every year, and, and he was talking about how he'd gotten a divorce. His wife caught him having an affair. I don't know why. I just remember it. Maybe it was just his answer. Stan Jackson asked him this question. How did she catch you? You know what his answer was? Just stupid. Ran around with her like she was my wife. See, sin blinds people from reality. It causes Christians to not read their Bible. Because you know what the Bible is going to tell you, right? So, so they, they don't want correction. It causes Christians to not respond to Christians' text. It causes Christians to begin to miss church and not answer a church member's text. Because they know what they're doing is wrong. David. David is blinded from the fact here that Uriah, he's not only a man of integrity... I want you to understand exactly what's going on right here. Uriah is a man being led by the Holy Spirit of God. He is being directed for a purpose, and it is God's purpose. David thought Uriah coming in from war, first thing he's going to do when he leaves my place is is go down and get with, with his wife Bathsheba. And on any other occasion, that's probably true. On any other occasion, that's first order of business, right? But not on this one. Because God, God has a plan. God's not going to let David get away with it quite that easy. Uriah slept at the door in verse number 9. The door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord. And he went not down to his house. He didn't even go see his wife. Stop sign number 2 for David. <clears throat> when they told David, saying, Uriah went not down to his house. David said, Uriah, come and sell not from thy journey. Why then did thou not go down to the house? Uriah said unto David the ark. And Israel and Judah abide in tents. My Lord Joab and and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go into my house to eat and to drink, to lie with my wife? As the Lord, as thou livest and as thy soul liveth, I will not do this thing. So what Uriah says is my loyalty to you. 
my, my loyalty to, to my brethren out there, my, my loyalty um, to our God, but because of my loss, there's no way that's going to happen. So verse 12, David says to Uriah, you tarry here today and tomorrow. You know what that means? I want you here all day. I want you here another whole night because it's going to get to playing on your mind by Sheba's right down the road. I want you to stay here all day and just think about this. And when it gets dark again, you can slide down to your house. And you stay here all day tomorrow. You ain't in no hurry. So you ain't got to get up early in the morning and come running on back. He says, you stay here all day today and you'll be here tonight. You'll be here all day to tomorrow. He made sure that he has every opportunity right there to spend some time with his wife. Verse 13, when David had called him, he did eat and drink before him. And he made him drunk. See, here's the problem. Uriah held to his oath. Uriah didn't go down to his house. Uriah, being led of the Holy Spirit, did not go down. And David said, well, here's what we're going to do. He brought him in, and, and he sat him down, and he did eat and drink before him, and he made him drunk. And even when he went out to lie on his bed with the servants of his Lord, but went not down to his house. Stop sign number three. See, just like God does with you and I, God has given David every chance to stop. God has given David every chance to turn around. God has given David every chance to, to, to get this right. D David sent her to the house, but he didn't go. David said, hang around town a whole other day, a whole other night, a whole other day, but he didn't go. David says, I'll get him drunk because everybody knows what alcohol does with the mind, right? If people ain't fool enough, a little bit of alcohol and they become one. It, it changes the mind. It brings out the worst of everybody. And he says, I'll get him drunk. But he didn't go to his house. David says, okay, well, I know how to deal with this. I'm just going to have to kill him. I, I'm just, I'm just going to have to kill Uriah. And then Bathsheba, you know, she'll be alone. So I'm, I'm going to have to. Get Bathsheba, and I'll, I'll, I'll be the hero. You know, I'll, I'll take this poor widowed woman in, and she'll become my wife, and, and we'll have a child, and, and, and Uriah will be out of the way, and I'll, I'll, be, I'll be the hero in all this. It came to pass in verse 14 in the morning that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He sent Uriah's death notice by his own hand. He sent Uriah's death notice by his own hand. Now, this is the man after God's own heart, right? Y'all ain't lost me yet. Y'all remember who we're looking at. He wrote the letter saying, Set ye Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retire ye from him that he may be smitten and die. Uriah delivered a letter written by David, a man that he loved, a man that he trusted, a man that he respected, a man that he gave honor to, he took a letter written by that man in the fullness of trust and delivered it to a man that he loved, that he trusted, that he respected, that he gave honor to. And the letter that he took from the man that he loved and trusted and gave to the man that he loved and trusted simply said, kill Uriah. But make it look like an accident. You know, David may be king, but he can't be a murderer, right? So, so make it like an accident. Make, make it look like a casualty of war. It came to pass in verse 16 that when Joab observed the city... That he assigned Uriah unto a place where he knew that valiant men were. And the men of the city went out and fought with Joab, and there fell some. Y'all see the word some? 
Some of the people of the servants, you notice that's plural. Some of the servants of David and Uriah the Hittite died also. So in the process of covering his own sin, David doesn't just kill Uriah. He has multiple soldiers killed. He has multiple family members, Israelites, people that trust him. He has multiple people killed trying to hide it. Joab sent and told David all things concerning the war. He charged the messenger, saying, And thou hast made an end of telling the matters of the war unto the king. And if so be that the king's wrath arise. Wait a minute. See, Joab is concerned because he's got to go back and tell him about what happened. But he's got to tell David that we got way too close to the wall. And when we got too close to the wall, many men died. So several people were, were killed in this. He said, if it so be that the king's wrath arise. And he's saying to thee, wherefore ye, wherefore approach ye so nigh unto the city when you did fight? Knew ye not that they would shoot from the wall? Who smote Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman cast a piece of millstone from upon the wall that he died in Tebes? Why went ye nigh to the wall? He says, if for any reason the king seems angry, if for any reason the king is upset, then say thou, thy servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Man, what a sad story. And what, what, what? See, see, and, and then David got away with it, right? He's got Bathsheba, that's his wife, Uriah's dead. Well, flip with me to chapter 12, still in 2 Samuel, verse number 1. The Lord sent Nathan. I want you to understand that Nathan is God's prophet. And God has delivered a message to Nathan. And he has sent him to David with a message. He came to him and said unto him, there were two men in one city. The one rich, the other poor. The rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds. This man's got sheep. He's got goats. He's got cattle. He's got flocks. He's got servants. He's got people everywhere. He's got all kinds of stuff. Exceeding herds. But this poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb. Which... which he had bought and nourished up. And it grew together with him and with his children and did eat of his own meat and drank of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. And there came a traveler to the rich man. And he spared not to take of his own flock and of his own herd. He's got all kind of sheep, all kind of rams, all kind of goats, all kind of bulls. He's got everything. But he says, I'm not taking from my own to dress for this wayfaring man. He says that it says it took the poor man's lamb and he dressed it for the man that was come to him. So basically what Nathan does, he speaks a parable. He makes up a story. A rich man's got all this stuff. This other man's got nothing. The rich man has company. He don't want to take out of his own flock for the visitor. So he takes the man's only lamb and he kills it. So verse number five, what he's doing right here is he is setting a story up so that David can pronounce the sentence. So that David can set his own sentence for the crime. And in verse number five, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that had done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did his thing and because he had no pity. See, David has heard the story. He's heard the ruthlessness of this wealthy man. And he says, that man is going to die. That man has, has see, he just pronounced his own sentence. Verse number seven, Nathan said to David, thou art the man. 
Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, I anointed thee king over Israel. I delivered thee out of the hand of Saul. I gave thee thy master's house, thy master's wives unto thy bosom. I gave thee the house of Israel and of Judah. If that had been too little, I moreover would have given unto thee such and such. God says, I've given you everything a man's heart can desire. You got more women than you can know. You got more money than you can count. You got a bigger house. I've given you all of Israel. You've got everything. And if that's not enough, there are no limits to what I would have given you. I would have given you anything you wanted. Wherefore thou hast despised the commandment of the Lord to do evil in his sight. Thou hast killed Uriah the Boy, don't you know David's hair on his neck just stood up. Our my little secret, right? Yeah. <clears throat> killed Uriah the Hittite with the sword and has taken his wife to be thy wife. Has slain him with the sword of the children of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from thine house because thou hast despised me. Thou hast taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be thy wife. Thus saith the Lord, behold, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor. And he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. I want you to look very carefully at verse number 12. Everybody looking? You may want to underline it. You may want to ponder this one carefully. Thou didst it secretly. But I will do this before all Israel. And before the sun. See, be sure your sins will find you out. You know what the word of God says? If you'll uncover it, God will cover it. If you'll confess, if you'll bring before God, if you'll uncover it, God will cover it. But if you try to cover it, be sure. Be sure your sins will find you out. Verse number 13. I mean, right here, you see David comes clean, right? He finally came to his senses. It's, granted, it's after he's caught red-handed, right? It ain't like he just confesses. He, he's caught red-handed, but, but nonetheless, David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You got that part right? Nathan said unto David, the Lord, oh my goodness gracious. Are y'all looking the Lord also hath put away thy sin. See that? One little confession. I, 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 have, I have sinned against the Lord. One little confession. Put away thy sin. But then he also, he takes his own judgment that he said the man shall surely die. He takes David's own judgment. He says you're not going to die. See how amazing God's mercy is? If we just confess our faults, David said his own sentence, and God says, well, we're going to change that. However, sin does have its consequences. We can control our actions. We have no control over the consequences. He says, the child's going to die, verse number 14, Howbeit, because our deed has given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. Can I tell you that when a child of God sins and it comes out openly, it hurts the church? Can, can I tell you, people out there dabbling in the world and doing the things of the world and all the things, whatever they may do and however wicked, the world is expected to do that. But when you have a testimony that you're a child of the king, when you have a testimony that you're trying to live a life pleasing to God, and that's you, the, the Lord says, you, you blasphemed my name. You, you've, gave, you've given the enemy, you've given the world reason to tear down my church, to tear down my children, to tear down the blood of Christ. He said, you, you've made an example, you've given them uh, the reason to blaspheme that the child that is born unto thee shall surely die. Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait. You, you, said, you said this was about a man after God's own heart. Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. You, you said this message was going to be about David, the, the man after, after God's own heart. Yeah, but, but actually, I didn't say it. I just read the book. I, that's, what, that's what the book says. But, but wait a minute, wait a minute. 
You said the title of the message is how. How, how can I be a man to God's own heart? You tell me that's what I got to do. Absolutely not. Well, well, how, how can it be? See, the title of the message is how, but before we look at David's strength, we need to be reminded of his failures because there ain't a person in here that don't have them. There ain't a person in here that is without failure. There ain't a person in here that is without sin. There ain't a person in here that if not now, you've had at some point in your life, your little secrets. See, see, we, we've got to look at, at David's failures to understand that's who we are. Because there's not one who, who have our failures. And when we try to, to, try to, to reason things with the devil, the devil tells you you're no good. He brings up your past. You try to take this story and you try to reason and, and bring up David. He said, that was a great Bible story, but that won't work for you. You remember what you did. Do you know I literally see it every week? People that I know have helped others. People that I know have counseled others. People that I know have tried to encourage others and given them scriptures and try to tell them about all the good things that God has done and how God can help you and how God can bail you out and how God can mend yours and how God can take care of your situation. They've helped person after person after person. But when it falls in their house, they forget all that. They forget that what you told everybody else is true for you too. The, the forgiveness that God gave them is true for you too. The mercy that God gave them is mercy for you too. The restoration that God gave them is restoration for you too. The brokenness that God picked them up from is the brokenness that God can pick you up from too. It's not just a book to tell somebody else. It's your book. It's your God. It's your life. It's your Savior. It's your Redeemer. It's your forgiveness. It's your hope. It's your salvation. This is your story. So before we look at how, I, I, want us, I want us to look at the fact that David didn't earn this title by being perfect. See, David is a man of sin. David is a man of, of, of the flesh. He's a man of failure, just like you and I. And because the book says that God is no respecter of persons, what I have to know is if he did it for David, he'll do it for me. So, in Greek mythology, there, there's a warrior named Achilles. Anybody ever heard of Achilles? Y'all watch the movie? That's a bad unit, boy. I know it's TV, but that's a bad dude, right? So, so in, case, in case you don't know the story, let, let me give you a little bit. I'm sorry. I did have to take mythology in school, and I never really knew why, and I still think it's ridiculous, but I did learn a lot about all that garbage. So, so the, the, the legend was that, that when Achilles was a baby, that his mom was told that he was going to die young. So, so what happens is she took him down to, to the river Styx because the river Styx was, was said to have powers. It was said to have powers over vulnerability. So if she dip him, if she would dip him in the river Styx, and he becomes invulnerable. So now he's not going to die young. It raised him above everything. So the story was that she went down and she took him by the hill and she dipped his entire body into the river Styx. Matter of fact, probably. I mean, if he's going to die and I'm trying to save him and I believe that river can do it, I'm, I'm, I'm getting him wet, right? So she, she's washing him off. So, so here's the problem. She, she dipped his whole body in. The story was that she held him by, by the heel. Y'all know what that's called? The Achilles. Do, do you know that that is the weak link of the ankle? It's the weak part of the body. So everything went in. Everything was protected. Everything was covered except 
the hill. And legend is that during a war, during a fight, he's this great hero, and, and he gets struck in the heel, in the Achilles by a poisonous arrow, and that was how he died. See, it was his only weakness. See, today, we, we look at the Achilles as something that is weak. It's a medical term. It, it's weak. It has, it has a weakness. It's something that is vulnerable. Everyone has an Achilles. Let, let me change. Everyone has a weakness. Everyone has a weakness. And the devil knows exactly what it is. He knows exactly what's not covered. So you may think you're Superman. You may think you can, oh, I can handle it. It's just some little text messages. I can dabble in this. I'm just having a little fun. I won't ever get caught. No, this, this won't take me. I, I won't get burnt. Can I remind you, even Superman was held powerless by kryptonite, right? And the devil knows exactly what your kryptonite is. It will hold you powerless and, and cause you to fail. See, what, what the devil wanted to do was take you to hell. Just like him. That was his goal. But then you went off and trusted Jesus Christ and got washed in the blood of the Lamb of God. You went off and got your name written in the Lamb's book of life. So that's out of the equation for you. But what's not out of the equation, if the devil can't get you in hell, what he can do is make your life miserable here. And that's his goal. That's what he wants to do. He wants to destroy everything about you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy all your hopes, all your dreams, everything, whatever he can do to make you miserable. That's what the devil wants. He hates you. He hates everything you represent, everything you stand for. You're a child of the king. You have a promise that he can never have. And all he wants to do is make you miserable. That's what the devil wants to do to you. Now, God promises in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, that no matter what we're facing, no temptation taken you, but such is common to man. God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able. But will with the temptation also make a stop sign. I'm sorry, that's not what that says, is it? He will also make a red light. See, what it says is with every temptation, with every trial, with every problem, God will make opportunities for you to stop and see your sin and turn around and get out of town. God, God will make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. See, the devil may know our weaknesses, but what we know is greater is the God that is in us. Greater is he that is in me, right? That, that's our promise. So how do we become a man after God's own heart? Number one, we have to be different. Now, I'm going to share. Y'all like good night. We just got number one. That's all we're going to get. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share number one with you. And Lord willing, next week we'll get to part two. But, but for this morning, I want to look at number one. We have to be different. The Bible tells us on many occasions that we're sanctified. We became children of the king. We're sanctified. That means to be set apart for a holy purpose. We're, we're sanctified, set apart from the world, set apart from our past, set apart from the things that, that drag us down. Psalms 4.3 says, No, the Lord has set apart him that is godly for himself. The Lord will hear when I call unto him. See, that, that's why 2 Corinthians, we read it a lot, but chapter 6, verse 17, says, Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I'll be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. If we want to be found by God, 
as someone after God's own heart, then we're going to have to let go of some worldly things. You want to be a man after God's own heart, you got to let go of the things that are pulling in the opposite direction. See, we're, we're going to have to, to surrender to God and get some things out of our life that are hindering our walk with Christ. We're going to have to let go of the things that are holding us back. We're going to have to remove the things that are hindering our faith. We're going to have to get rid of the things that are not of God. You know, anger, bitterness, hatred, lack of forgiveness, unforgiveness, whatever you want to call it. Sin. Every evil thought, every evil deed, every evil imagination of the heart. See, David may have been guilty. And he may have... He may have been caught red-handed right here to have to come clean. Even though he, he has no way out, he's caught red-handed. He still, all he had to do was come clean. And that's all God's looking for. That's all God's looking for. You know, Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives us the par par parable of the prodigal son. He tells the story. If you don't know it, I want you to read Luke chapter 15. Read about the prodigal son. You'll see the story. How he took the father's money and went... All the prodigal had to do was turn back to the father's house, and he was forgiven. See, it didn't matter that he had nothing left. It didn't matter that he had taken his father's inheritance, wrongfully so, while his father's still alive, and he'd gone out and he had, he had wasted his substance on riotous living. It didn't matter that here he is in the pig pen. He has no other choice. He has no other way out of the mess that he himself is created. It didn't matter that he didn't have another way out. All that matters was that when he realized where he was and what he had done is that he turned back to the father's house. That's all it took. The father saw him coming from way off and ran and fell on his neck and hugged him and kissed him, put a robe on him, a family ring, killed the fatted calf, threw a party because my son, which was lost, has come home. That's all God's looking for is just turn back. So Lord willing, Lord willing, next week I want to look at part two of how. We ain't ever going to get to part two until we've completed part one. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Whosoever loses life for my sake, the same shall save it. See, what is it that we have in our hands that's keeping us from carrying the cross? But Because if we're going to carry the cross, we're going to have to put down some worldly stuff. You, you can't carry the cross of Jesus Christ with the filth of the world in our hands. You know, materialism, greed, bitterness, re regret, jealousy, anxiety. We, we can't carry the cross. All of this stuff is in our hands. And, and it's, it's keeping us from carrying what Jesus told us to carry. <clears throat> you know, there's a lot of Christians in this day, this age of this casual Christianity. There are a lot of Christians who want you to think they're all in. They are. Oh, they put on a front, especially on Sunday. Dressed apart, look good. You know, I was thinking about it this, this week. I was thinking about how easy it is to fool people. You know, all I got to do is go behind that wall and then, and, and it's a train, right? You go behind the wall, it's a turkey, right? See, all you got to do is whatever you want it to be. 
And, and, and it's very easy to, to, to put people on, put up a front. And Christians are really good at making people think they're all in. When in reality, they're sitting on the edge of the pool and the only thing is their feet. If I go back and use the Greek mythology again, if y'all, if y'all, if y'all would, would allow me to, to, to use something not from the Bible, it's Greek mythology, so I'll let you know it up front. If you allow me just, to just go back to that. His entire, according to legend, his entire body was dipped except for one small weakness, and that was his heel. And that one little spot, that one little place of weakness, that was his downfall. One little spot that when she held him and dipped him in, she didn't swap hands and, and get that spot covered. One little spot. One weakness, and that's what caused. See, my, my, my question is, how many places do we have in our lives that's not fully submerged? How many places do we have that this is my little pet stuff? I haven't surrendered this. How many places have we not fully committed to God? Oh, I mean, if you just really want to say it personal, like the way I was thinking it. How many secrets do you have? How many hidden things do, do you think that nobody else knows about? Because, see, here's reality. If there's anything. I mean, e even one small thing. Let, let me, I, I've used this before, but I'm going to use it again. If there's anything in your life, anything in your life, Y'all with me? Y'all know what anything is, right? Unlimited. Anything. If there's anything that right now, God took that and put it on those screens for everybody in here to see, you'd have to crawl out under the pews and get out of this place because of that one little thing that nobody else knows. See, see, what, whatever that is, that's what we've got to get rid of. See, whatever that is, that has got to go before we can ever attempt to become a man after God's own heart. Whatever that is, is the hindrance. It's the holdback. It, it is the stop signs that has been run. Whatever that is, you can't get to where you want to go until you get that out from between you and God. And all you got to do is turn to the Father's house, put it on the altar, and God will say, your sin's done. It's forgiven. But, but before we can ever get to step two and deal with faithfulness and strength and serving and all those things, we've got to get through part one. I, I want to ask if you would, if I could just have everybody stand right where you are. I, I, I don't know. You don't have to move yet, but there, there may be somebody in here that you, you have. It may be, you think itty bitty, you may be big, but it's your secret. There may be, be somebody here that, that you have that and you, and you know what that is. All you have to do is confess it. Give it to God. Turn away from it and never go back. Make sure you hear that last part. Make sure you don't turn away from it and never go back. That, that's what repentance is. Maybe, maybe you don't know what it is. Maybe you just say, you know what? I want to make sure I'm clean. I want to be a servant after God's own heart. I want God to be able to find me that way. So, so Psalm chapter 139, David said in verse 23, Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. Do you dare come to this altar and pray that prayer? Search me, God. Whatever it is. 
I want you to point it out right now. Because as soon as you do, I want to put it under the blood. Because I want to move forward. Because from this moment forward, I'm going to be a man. After, I'm going to be a person. I'm going to be a servant after your own heart. I, I'm, I'm going to be one that desires to seek you with everything I got. I don't ask if I have heads bowed, eyes closed. I began with one question. How many of you want to be that kind of person? Someone after God's own heart. Somebody that you want to serve with all your life. And many, if not everybody in this place, raise your hand. Well, this is step one. If you raise your hand, I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to put anything that you need to get on the altar on the altar. And if you don't know what it is, I want you to come to this altar. And I want you to say, search me, oh God. See if there be any wicked way in me. Search me, oh God. Search my heart. Let me know if there's anything that would hinder me. Because, oh God, here's my desire. This is what I want out of my life. I want to follow you with everything in me. I want to serve you with everything I have. And if there's anything that is holding me back, anything that is separated between you and I, I want you to point it out right now. I, I'm at the altar. I'm asking you to, to show it to me so that, so that we may put it under the blood that, that I... Be, to be honest, it's like I, I am come in pursuit of you, God. I am come in pursuit of being a man after God's own heart. So, God, what I'm asking you is to point it out. Help me be that kind of person. 